Daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. George Strait. I'm just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I can. Hello and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I'm Brett, joined as always by Perry. Perry, how's it going this morning? I'm doing great, brother. I hope you are. I am. I I ended up getting a little bit of sleep last night. I've had a whirlwind several days driving all over the East Coast, it seems like, dropping kids off at one summer camp, spent a little bit of Father's Day with my dad, had some brunch, and then hit the road and drove all the way back to Knoxville, then all the way up to D.C., then all the way back to Knoxville, got home at about 1.30 this morning, uh, <laughs> but got a few hours of shut-eye and, uh, and bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to, ready to rock it, so... Anyway, yeah, that's awesome. You're, on a, you're, you're on a bit of an adventure yourself, right? Yeah, I am. And uh, but before I jump into that, you, you're a no coffee man. So on a night that you don't get much sleep, what's your what's your regimen for for popping up and having a little bit of energy? Because you know most most folks will pound the caffeine, but I know that's not your style. So break us off. How do you deal with that? Slap myself in the face a few times. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, wow. Little little cold water. <laughs> no, I usually I have a little bit of a morning routine. I do a little bit of kind of modified yoga and some breathing and and yep. stuff like that. But usually we talked about this a few episodes ago when we talked about uh kind of nutrition and and some different things like that. That if I'm eating well and I'm taking care of myself and I'm exercising. Even if I don't get a lot of sleep, I usually wake up with a decent sure. amount of energy and I'm able to attack the day. So I, I actually felt pretty good when I woke up this morning. So despite the lack of sleep. So that's cool. That's, I mean, it's amazing how much your food intake affects how you feel every day. The energy is way different. The, the lack of fog is, uh, you know, evident. And then, man, it's funny because, you know, like we had Father's Day and her mom made chocolate chip cookies for my brother-in-law and ice cream chocolate chip cookie ice cream sandwiches and i ate some of those chocolate chip cookies i was like ah, it'll be fine i'm just gonna eat a little bit on this you know i'm gonna break the protocol Ooh, shouldn't do that <laughs> but i did and man like i for the next you know day or so just from breaking that one protocol you break it one time then you want to break it again and you want to break it again you want to break it again and you just go it's a slippery slope <laughs> it's, a, it's a good analogy for life it's like I, i've yeah. been talking to my kids about that momentum works in both directions you can either have positive momentum and it's easier to continue in a positive direction with good habits day after day after day or it's easy to downward spiral and and continue a negative pattern or a negative yeah. thought process or a you know yeah anyway so so that's good well i i have no doubt you're back on track and enjoying time with your family do you have you can fill us in a little bit. I know you've been at the beach with your family for a little little while, but any wins while you've been there? Any fatherhood wins that you want to share? Yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a fun road down here at the coast. So for if anybody's just chiming in, my wife, myself, and my four kids are all at the coast in Little River, South Carolina, uh, right now for a little season, um, staying at my mother in law and father in law's place down here. And it's in a neighborhood where we've got a boat ramp. We get out in the water, you know, on nice days, usually during the week. And then sometimes we'll go over to Sunset Beach and, and surf a little bit or hang out and stuff like that. So we do a lot of fishing and a lot of outdoor stuff at the coast, which is super fun. But one of the wins that um, has really been prominent um, is that I'm very much focusing on just asking my kids questions. Mm. Has this old tin boat that he bought when he was like four years old. Bought it from his uncle from the scrapyard. It's like a 12-foot tin boat. And he completely restored it, um, you know, buffed it, painted it, put some deck, built some decks inside. Um, it's got this old, like, 1980-something Evinrude two-stroke motor that he got for it, um, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, he bought that motor recently, and when he bought it from the guy, he went to the guy's house, dude cranked it, you know, second pull, it ran like a top. Well, since then, he brought it here to the coast. It's been sitting for two or three weeks. New gas tank, new gas lines that he's never cranked it with before. And we, he got his boat totally finished up, everything dialed. We're going to go down to the boat ramp to launch his little tin boat for the very first time. And instead of saying, hey, son, you better put the little earmuffs on that motor and crank it with the hose at the house, 
And he just looks at me indignant. Why? And I said, <laughs> I don't, you know, I was just asking, you know, just make sure it wanted to crank, you know, it would crank. No, we don't need to do that. I said, okay, cool. Let's go to the dock. Went down to the dock. Guess what? Didn't it's crank. Dark. and he was you know he was he had built up all this excitement and anticipation because he's been striving for this thing to work for you know a long time and we got down there and it didn't crank so we found out that the fuel line that he had which was a used one that he got from his cousin had a little pinhole in it and so air was getting in obviously that doesn't work um, so we wound up, he bought a new fuel line, did all the stuff, went back the next day or later that day, whatever, whatever, I can't remember, got it cranking and running. So second time got it, you know, but it was cool, man, because I, at the end of the day, after he ran that boat up and down the waterway a bunch of times, took everybody for a little ride and stuff. I asked him, I was like, Liam, how, how does it feel? He goes, dad, I've been dreaming of this day my whole life. You know, because he he bought that boat when he was four years old and we've been coming down here to this spot at the coast for, you know, four or five, six years now. And, um, gosh, maybe more than that, maybe eight years. But anyway, he said, I've been dreaming on running this boat in this waterway with an old gas motor, just like this. He said my whole life. And today I finally did it. So it's kind of a big accomplishment. That's a huge accomplishment. That's, (laughs) that's big stuff for him. And and good for you as a father asking questions instead of instructing all the time, especially once they get to a certain age, it's time to get them thinking for themselves and yeah, figuring he's 13. That's right. Yeah. Right. And I want to actually circle back to the story. This is, this is good that you told this story in the context of what we're going to be talking about today. I just realized sometimes we just sort of dive in and, and start chatting and, and that's great, but let me set the stage a little bit for what we're going to be talking about. If you listen to, I think it probably was the last episode, depending on when we published it, but we had a conversation with Heather Johnston, and and we were talking about the the father nature of God and trying to to really discern who God is as our father. What does that even mean? And we had a really fun conversation around that, I think an insightful and important conversation around that. And and I want to just continue in that vein and, and do a series of trying to see what we can learn about who God is as our father and what that means about who we need to be as father, yeah. as father to our own kids. You know, we talked about uh, the verse where Jesus basically says to his disciples, look, I don't do anything that I don't see my father doing. That's right. He's turning to his father for how he's going to walk out his mission on this earth. So it certainly seems to me like we should take that same approach, that same mindset and try to figure out, okay, who is God as our father? What is he doing so that we can do that on earth and, and try to model that with our own kids. But that begs the question, uh, what should we be doing? Who is, who is God? What can we learn about the nature of God as our father from scripture, from things that Jesus has said, from from things that God has revealed to us in prayer, perhaps. But so we're, we're going to do that. And today we're going to start with the story of the prodigal son. And and again, I I think it's really interesting the story you just told, Perry, in the context of of the prodigal son. And I want to start. This is really sort of the first story that popped to mind that that I wanted to talk about because I think it is so revealing about the heart of God yeah, or his kids. And man, if we could only model that same heart with how we interact and deal with our kids. So, so it's pretty cool. And I remember just a little bit of a backstory. I have a friend named Carl Medeiros uh, from when I lived in Colorado. He's a, he's an author. Uh, some, of, some of the listeners may have read some of his books, um, but his, he has spent most of his life really sharing Jesus with Muslims. He spent most of his life in the Middle East and has built incredible relationships there. Uh, when the United States has its yearly national prayer breakfast, he's he's somebody that they bring in to sort of almost be an ambassador uh, to to a lot of the you know the the, the dignitaries that come over from from the Middle East uh, to kind of shepherd them around and and he's man he's he's brought a lot of people to Christ in the Middle East and and had good relationships. But I remember kind of when I would. I was sort of mentored under him for a season. And I remember him 
talking about how this story of the prodigal son opens up the door to have conversations around God and Jesus with with people in the Middle East and, and Muslims in particular more than just about any other story. And so he, huh. you That's know, cool. I, that that always sort of stuck with me as sort of a gateway story just to just to have conversations around who God is and the truth of who God is and his heart for us as his children. And so so I thought it would be a good idea to sort of start here and and I would just encourage the listeners, you know, this is probably a familiar story to most. Some of you listening may not really be familiar with the story. That's great. We're, we're going to try to unpack it a little bit today and and share some of our thoughts and perspective on it. But, but one of the things that I've been trying to intentionally do recently is when I read scripture, when I when I try to take the time to sit down and, and read some some familiar verses, it's easy to feel like, oh, I already know that. Or, oh, I've already read this a hundred times. Oh, I've already read this story. Oh, I know what it says. But but if we believe, as I do, that the word is living, that right. God is able to do new things through his scripture in different seasons of our lives, sometimes sometimes new things are revealed to us. Sometimes we pick up on things that we hadn't either seen before or read before or had forgotten because at the end of the day, we don't have you know, photographic memories and remember every single word. I can't recite the Bible from memory, you know? So so the point is, let's humble ourselves a little bit and realize that maybe maybe God has something for us in this story this time in this season as we revisit it. So I'm excited to do that. Any you know, and what I, I think we'll do is I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read through the story and we're gonna talk about it and unpack it. But before we sort of dive in, any thoughts on on starting with the the prodigal son story, Perry, or just any thoughts on on God as Father? Yeah. So as we look at this prodigal son story, if if you're not sure where it is in the Bible. It's in Luke, uh, the book of Luke, and it's in chapter 15. Um, chapter 15 is really uh, kind of a whole chapter about things that are lost and found. So I think one thing to point out before we dive into the prodigal son section is that first off, it's Jesus speaking um, and the people that he's are drawing around to him are um, the tax collectors and the sinners. And so then the Pharisees and the scribes, so the Pharisees are all the super religious people of the day and the scribes are, you know, in that same way. So the, the religious elites, the are saying they're grumbling and they're mad that Jesus lets tax collectors and sinners hang out with them. So that's kind of the, the stage that's being set um, for this story to be told is Jesus hanging out with, scum in everybody's eyes and the good people the righteous people the people who quote unquote have it all figured out are pissed and they're like why is he hanging out with these you know trash loser whoever people so jesus tells a couple stories the first one he tells is about um, a shepherd who has sheep he says what if you have a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost and you go find it when you come back you're going to celebrate you're gonna be excited and then the second one he talks about is a a woman who has 10 coins, uh, 10 silver coins. What if she loses one somewhere in the house and then she, you know, cleans, sweeps, looks everywhere and she finds it. She's going to, you know, tell her friends, celebrate, have a party, get excited about the one that was lost. So those are just a couple pieces of information. Um, one thing I do love to do when I look at scripture is, should look at that context and saying, what is this story being told? What context is this story being told? And then, as you said earlier, one of the major things I love to do as I read the scripture is ask the question, what can I learn about God? Uh, what can I learn about Yahweh? What can, and specifically what we're looking at today is what can we learn about the father nature of Yahweh? And then a couple other questions that I like to ask myself when I'm looking at scripture are what, so what can I learn about God? What can I learn about people or humanity what can i learn about myself you know who, like as i read this story and look at all the different characters who do i kind of who can i kind of relate to in this story what what role would i fit into where's my heart you know and then lastly i think it's important to ask ourselves is there am i being prompted to do anything you know is god call is god call is does this story speak to my heart? Does God call me to take action? Does God call me to repent? Does God tell me to, you know, is there some kind of action that I could do? Um, is there something I'm being called to that I can recognize through this portion of scripture? So those are kind of four questions I usually ask myself as I'm diving into a section of scripture. 
Those are good. Should write those down. <laughs> I like that. That's a that's a good lens through which to to take a look at this passage. So let's dive in. And and I like the context that you shared. And I really feel like you know those first couple stories. I think it's clear that he's talking about salvation and God's heart for not wanting anybody to be apart from Him. And yeah, and just really celebrating even the one who was lost that is now found. Certainly the story we're going to talk about today and read has that same underlying theme, but I, I just feel like this one goes even deeper for for just that that father nature, that that father's heart aspect of thing. Yes, there's there's the salvation issue, but there's also, I think, the issue of uh how we're supposed to to embrace and receive our own kids when they when they lose their way. So we're perhaps getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go ahead and dive in with uh, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Uh, and by the way, we've called it the prodigal son. My my version of the Bible I'm reading from doesn't even use the word prodigal. It says the parable of the lost son. Let me just sort of read dictionary.com as it defines the word prodigal. Prodigal simply means wastefully or recklessly extravagant. So the mm. prodigal son is a son, this man who was wasteful or recklessly ex- extravagant. And we certainly see that in how how he lives his life. So let's go ahead and dive in with verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So basically he's asking for his inheritance early. I'm going to stop us there. What's like the most, I know, what's the boldest thing that you've ever asked your dad for? Well, it certainly isn't my share of the estate. Hey, Dad, I, I certainly hey, hope you have a lot I of wish years you were you, dead. Bro. But since you haven't kicked the bucket yet, could you please uh, give me give me my portion now? That's that's crazy. I mean, he's basically saying to his dad, "Hey, I wish you were dead. I care about more. I care more about my inheritance than you. Give I me the money. I will give say, me the look, money. I, you know, I'm I, I haven't done all the back research on one of the things with the Bible that's so cool is." You know, this this obviously happened two thousand years ago, and we live in a totally different world with a totally different yeah. context. And I did right. hear a pastor once. I don't remember all the details, but I did hear a pastor once preach on this, and he talked about how that's not actually out of the norm of the custom of the time. Oh, that, okay, yeah. That it, it now whether the son initiates and asks for it early, yeah. like I don't know all the specs. Right. But apparently, right. it wasn't quite as outrageous as certainly. I read it with my Western yeah. <laughs> you know, 21st yeah. century eyes thinking how really embarrassed and ashamed I, I would be to even consider such yeah. a, it's one thing to ask, Hey dad, could I have a few bucks? Like I'm going right. to movies, but you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something or, entirely different. Yeah. Say, hey, yeah or yeah. can I get a loan? You know, right. So what's the craziest thing you've ever asked your dad for? I mean, do you even ask so this is this is an interesting question right now. What is what is the what is the proper relationship between father and son? Is it crazy for the son to be able to ask his father for whatever he wants? I don't know. I think it's that's a great question. I've never thought about it in this light before. I <clears throat> I mean, clearly from the scripture, the answer was yes, and he gives him the inheritance. So what does that you know tell us about? The, the nature of God. Now, God's not a vending machine. We can't just ask him for whatever we want and get a yes answer. But I think, I guess it is appropriate for a son to ask a father for whatever. Doesn't mean the father, doesn't mean the, doesn't mean the father's going to say yes. That's right. You know, I mean, I think but, about my, my own attitude as a father, right? I, my mindset, I think, is that all I have is, is my kids. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to withhold any good thing from them. Now, Certainly, from a fathering perspective, you know, I, I might not let them have a cell phone at a certain up, up sure. to a certain age. I might say no to treats. I, like I don't just yeah. let them have whatever they want, whenever they want. Yeah. They need discipline. They need. So, so there's yeah. And we're also, that. I'm not going to give my, I'm not going to give my, you know, eleven year old ten thousand dollars to invest. That's right. That's right. right? So there's like, got to be wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> but clearly, hey. this. I mean, I. I it sounds like this. These are grown sons, you know. Yeah, that's right. right. So if you're 21 year old, or sure. maybe you're 18 year old, he says, right. "Dad, I'm gonna try. I'm, I'm ready for college. I, I'd rather just go start my life. Could could I have half of what you, you know, whatever right. you owe me? I want it now. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting question. My heart certainly, I think, is in the right place in the sense of 
look, what I, what I have is my family's, you know, I'm not holding real tight to anything as if it's mine. I, I try to give them what they want to a point because I want them to have good things. I want them to have a good life and I'm not going to withhold good things from them. So, but yeah, it's, it's bold to think about. I've never really asked my dad for a loan. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure when I was a teenager, Hey dad, could I, I'm going out with some friends. Can I have a 20, you know, or whatever, but, but he, he initiated a lot of that stuff. I feel like, sure. I feel like I never had to ask because he always gave, you know, that, that's, that's cool. an interesting thought as well. So my dad was always very generous and, and he just was sort of in tune with things. Hey son, you're, you're about to go off your, your friends, here's some money, you know, or whatever. So um, he was always very generous that way. That's something I need to remember as my kids grow older. Uh, don't, don't put them in a position where they have to ask, but anyway. So, so this, uh, this bold son decides he wants his share of the estate early and the father gives it to him. Not long after that, picking up in verse 13, the younger son got together all he had set off for a diff- distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So that's yeah. the extravagance we're talking about, the prodigal nature of things. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs uh, that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So, so yeah, so he goes off. He wastes the inheritance that he got got early. You know the. It's got to be a swallowing of pride at that point, right? I mean, from the son's perspective, you know, he doesn't immediately run back to the father. He realizes, like, oh crap, I've I've blown it. Yeah, and he's got to eat it, and he he decides to continue to sort of persist on his own to try to figure it out on his own. I'll yeah. take a lowly job. I'll yeah. I'll feed pigs for a living. I'm in a tough place, but I still, I, I imagine it had to be pride at that point that. He's going to stick with it. He's going to ride this thing out. I've made my bed. I've got a lie in it, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing that I, that that there isn't any indication in the story is how long did that squandering last? You know, it's like, uh, maybe at the casino or like, yeah. Right. I mean, was this years? Was it weeks? Was it months? You know, I don't think it was days. I would, I would get the impression that it's definitely more than days. You know, but that's just, it's all speculation on my end, but, um, man, you know, imagine how, imagine how amazing the guy felt when he's out there squandering, just living it up, throwing money, playing the big man, you know, like he didn't build all that wealth. His dad built the wealth and he's just out there slinging it, making it rain, doing all those things, whatever. And, uh, he was probably pretty feeling high, feeling pretty high on the cloud during those spending moments. And then he spent it all. Like it says he spent everything. It doesn't say most. He spent everything. He didn't have any money left at all. And then he hires himself to feed pigs. And then as he's feeding the pigs, he's looking at the pig slop. I don't know. You're, you, you do a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, farming, a little bit of, hobby farming at your house. But I, I can only imagine how nasty pig slop is. They pretty much eat anything and you pretty much give them all the nasty rotten scraps uh, from, you know, whatever's left over. And he's sitting there longing for that. What What's the lowest, what's the lowest you've been? Well, I've had some pretty low lows in my, in my yeah. Have you hit rock in bottom life. in any, in any capacity? Like when have you ever experienced anything like this? Cause I, th- I mean, some listeners might be able to totally relate. You know, we talked, I'll draw some parallels to the conversation we had with Will West, who shared his story of addiction and, and basically finds himself living on the streets. And, and actually, now that I'm bringing that up, you know, we can, we can come back to that because of how his father ended up welcoming him back at a certain point. But, but you know, I mean, it's at some point you, you find yourself at the lowest of the lows but others of us maybe can't totally relate to this. So, I mean, mm-hmm. can you relate to this son? I do very much. And I haven't gotten to the point where I'm wishing to eat pig slop, but 
I very much relate to the the squandering, partying, live it up, you know, drugs, alcohol, wild living. I spent years of my life doing that and hit hit low, hit rock bottom in in my young adulthood, you know, probably early 20s, late late teens, early 20s in, in the college age. Um yeah, hit a total rock bottom and realized that I was living my life on my own standards and on my own decisions and out of my own will. And, and I'm doing it however I want. And I knew that God was calling me away from things like drugs and alcohol, but I wasn't ready to, you know, for a lot of years, I didn't listen to that. I just kept on that partying, squandering path. And then one day in college, uh, my sophomore year, I came to a point of just misery in my heart. You know, I, I was in school. I hadn't flunked out. You know, I wasn't homeless on the streets or anything like that. But I just had misery in my heart in a rock bottom point where I realized, you know, I've been living life according to what I wanted it to be and ignoring what God had been calling me to. And I finally got to the point where I said, you know what, Lord? You say jump, I'll say how high. I'm done trying to manage my own life. I'm done trying to live it my way. I want to live your way. I want to follow what you're calling me to do. Um, because I had accepted Christ as a savior as a kid, but I wouldn't actually let him be the Lord. You know, I wasn't letting him call the shots in my life. You know, I was given a lot of yeah buts. Um, and at that point is when my life really started to change and come out of the depths and and truly become a disciple of Christ and try to live my life according to his instruction and leadership versus just rely on him as a ticket into heaven and and out of hell you know what i mean so there's there's a difference in my mind in those two of being an actual disciple of Christ and so yeah i very much relate to the to the lost son because that's how i that's how i spent i've gone down that path and experienced that type of life. And I would say it's easy. I resonate and relate a lot more to the, the faithful son. I, I, yeah. I don't know if there's a, a name for him. We'll get to him in a moment. Uh, but just sort of personally, I relate more to that son, but this again is where it's easy to, to identify in one area and overlook where you're falling short. And so for me, even if I haven't lived a completely extravagant lifestyle, never got totally wrapped up in drugs and, and spending frivolously and all that type of stuff. Hey, look at me. And, you know, almost like puff up my chest and Hey, I, I didn't do any of that. Yeah. But where have I been way wayward? Where have I been sinful? Where have I fallen short in terms of, cause I love what you said there, right? You, it's more of a heart thing. Has, has yeah. my heart always been attuned to God in the way it needs to? Nope. You know, have I lived for myself in other ways? Yep. Have I have I been distant from my heavenly father? Absolutely. Yeah. At, at various times. And so, you know, this is clearly a, an illustration that Jesus is using, a story that everybody can relate to. But really the question we need to to seek deep on is where have I fallen short and when am I not living in right standing with God? And when is it time to humble myself, circle back and go back to the father, which is where the story picks up in, in verse 17, when he came to his senses. So at some point, yeah, we all have that wake up call. Yeah, I love that. Right. verse. Me yeah. too. Yeah. When he came to his senses and, and sometimes we come to our senses and then there's still that resistance. It's like, sure. Oh, shoot, you know, I, I got to go eat some crow or I've got to, I've got to, I've got to go crawling back. Got to ask for forgiveness with my wife. Yeah. Got to apologize to my kids for blowing up yep. at them. Yeah. Whether the Holy spirit convicts us, whether we just come to our senses, we have this realization point mm -hmm. at some point where I've got some making up to do. I've got some repenting to do. And man, sometimes we don't want to. <laughs> and just, right. You know, you because you're embarrassed. Sure. Uh, you, you just don't want to do it, but at some point you got to. This guy's either going to keep eating pig slop, or he says, "Look, yeah. how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Like there are scraps yeah. falling off my father's table at home that I could be eating, uh, and here I am starving to death." 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, not, I apologize, welcome me back. That's not his heart. His heart is just like, I'm going to slink back and say, look, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So I was willing to go work for, you know, this pig farmer. I'd rather just work for you as your servant. Like I still am deserving of being a servant. I'm not deserving of anything because I've messed up. So he at least acknowledged, he comes to his senses, but still in his heart feels like he's not worthy. Mm-hmm. But it's better to be my father's servant than this pig farm, farmer's servant. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask for that, right? So I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's the son's heart, not the father's heart, the son's heart. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So this is where the story gets fun. And this is where really the heart of God and the nature of him as our heavenly father is revealed. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son. Yeah. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. Yeah. So let's let's stop there. You know, there, yeah. there's more. There's the... There's the reconciliation that we need to talk sure. about. But man, what a beautiful picture. I think this is, oh, this is why the story resonates with, with the, the soul of a man and a desire for a father like that, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, if, if he saw him while he was still a long way off, that's a clear indication that he's actively looking for him. Every night, he's standing on his front porch. Yeah, he's standing on the front on. porch. Looking, maybe my son's going to come back today. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm hopeful. I'm expectant that he's going to return. You know, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm excited. You know, not not that the father's excited for us to be in a point of brokenness. That's not it. But his he's excited for that point of reconciliation. He's anticipating it. There's already forgiveness, right? If he's standing there looking. The father has already forgiven the son before the son even came and made the apology. That's right. That's pretty cool to think about it that way. And I've never, I've never thought about it in that specific light in that way. And I, I was going to say, I don't know this to be true, Mm -hmm. but sort of reading between the lines with that as well. The father, the father is a man of some standing. Word word travels. My guess is the father knew some of what his son had been up to as well. Sure, you know, I I imagine some stories had gotten back to him. Small, yeah, he went off to a distant land, but I don't know. So maybe he maybe he knew nothing about what his son was doing blindly out there, right? He didn't have Instagram to to check up on his son's Instagram (laughs) posts of like the wild parties that he was participating in, right? So so maybe he was completely blind. But I don't. I just always sort of assume that the father the father was aware that his son was out there living an extravagant lifestyle, but that didn't diminish his love, his love for his son, his anticipation for his son's return, standing on that front porch, watching and not waiting, not waiting with arms crossed for his son to slink back. I'm going to make him have that long, that long March, that long walk all the way up to the front porch and hear what he has to say. I'm going to run toward him. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's 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 what's what's really cool. Right. And then all, also, you know, I think too, in terms of the father having some knowledge of what the son is doing, I think there's definitely some reality to that because I think as well as the perspective you were thinking that as word gets back, that's a good speculation. I think another speculation is that the father knows the son. Intimately. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. So if this, let's say he's 20 years old, 21 years old, 18 years old, whatever, He's got two sons. We're going to learn more about the second son in a minute, but he's got two sons. And if this is the son who says, you know what, go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of your way. I'm tired of working hard every day. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. Right. Maybe I'm tired of the discipline. I'm tired of your structure. I'm tired of your rules. I think I can manage it better than, than you managing it for me. So just go ahead and give me mine. I'm leaving. So that he probably already, the father knows the son's nature. He knows the son's spirit. He probably knows what the types of things the son is going to do. The son may have had a pattern of 
spending or squandering or whatever in the past with other smaller things. So the father knows that son's nature and he knows his heart and he probably wasn't a big surprise to him after he asked for his share that he went and squandered it. Good point. That's a, that's great insight. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And now let's look at the father's then reaction. So we know the father, despite knowing all of that, loves his son. Yeah. Is anticipating his son's return. Yes. That's and right. The question we need to ask ourselves, and this is what I want to spend a little more time on and unpack a little bit is how would we respond in this situation mm-hmm. versus how God responds? How, how do we handle our own kids when they mess up? Yeah. The son slunk back. Father runs to him. In verse 21, the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But here's what the father says. So verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Yeah. So they throw a party. Throws a party for his son. Yeah, right away. You've been messing up like crazy, but we're going to celebrate you because you're back. Yeah. You're not going to be my servant. Yeah. You're going to sit at the right hand at my table. Yeah. Right next to me in the seat of honor with a goblet yeah. full of drink, a fattened yeah. calf, you know, yeah. for your honor. Let's the let's best robe party, right? The best robe. Yeah. Not, not, oh, bring a robe, bring, go get the best one. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. What a beautiful picture of the father's grace for us. When we turn and and repent, you know, when we say, hey, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to do it your way. Just lavish love and acceptance and grace and forgiveness. And a party. I think a lot of times we forget God loves to party. God loves to have fun. God loves to celebrate. You know, like sometimes we think of God as just this forgiving, graceful, loving father, but he's like, we're going to have a feast and we're going to party and we're going to celebrate. That's really cool to think about too. It is. So let me challenge us here though, before we, before we get to the rest of the story, how, how do you think you would handle a situation like this with your own, your own son? And let me actually circle back to the story you already told at the beginning of this episode. How did you handle it? down at the water when you gave your son a chance to test the boat he decided to go his own way do his own thing blow you off gets down to the water strokes that thing and he was wrong yeah. he was wrong you were right yeah how did you respond i responded as thankfully with the lord's grace i just was a quiet observer. I didn't, I didn't run up to him and say, I told you so. I didn't run up to him and say, see, you should have cranked it at the house. Why didn't you listen to me? You bozo. You know, I just, I had, I, he was devastated at that point. You got to think he's a 13 year old kid <clears throat> who thinks that he's about to embark on the, you know, culmination of the greatest, greatest thing he's done in and of himself, restore a boat, ride it around the waterway, you know, et cetera. And it failed. It didn't work. So he's building all this crescendo of excitement that it's going to be amazing. And then he gets down there and it's a total letdown. So he was crushed. He was very sad and brokenhearted over it. And I just loved on him. I said, Hey son, don't worry about it. You know, boat motors don't always crank. It's just part of the boat process. Hey man, don't stress. We'll take it back to the house. We'll get it going. We'll get it figured out, you know? And so I'm not a very motor tech savvy, you know, mechanic type person. My father-in-law is much more than I am. So fortunately we had both of us and, and my son, we brought the boat back to the house 
tried to get it to crank, tried to get it to crank, couldn't get it, figured out there was a hole in the gas line. Then we, you know, took Liam to the store so he could buy a new gas line, hooked it all up, um, cranked on it, cranked on it, cranked on it, finally got it going, and then took him back down to the dock and celebrated like crazy with him when it ran and he rode it up and down the waterway. It's a little boat. So, you know, we got a family of eight when you count my in-laws as well. So we just went all went down to the dock for the launch. He launched it. We all took turns riding with him one at a time, you know, all around the water. He'd come back to the dock. Somebody else hop off a new person jumps on. And we did, we made it this really cool celebration. Um, of, of, you know, excitement and fun and accomplishment and all the things. So it was a cool, it was a cool day. It is a cool day. And, and kudos to you because you exhibited a father's heart, frankly, along the lines of what we're seeing with this father in, in this parable of not condemning your son, not having the attitude of, I told you so, because it's, it, you know, it's easy to put ourselves in this situation and think even about ways I've interacted with my own kids and realize there could easily be an element of, Hey, I told you so. Hey, you messed up that like, that's on, that's on you. How many times have I told you to save some of your money? You can't spend it all. This yeah. is what happens. You idiot. Yeah. You know, that type yeah. of thing. Right. Um, yeah. but good for you not to have that attitude with Liam to recognize where he was, what he was experiencing, what he was feeling and your heart is one of love, of compassion, of feeling empathy. Uh, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. My encouragement to myself and to listeners is to just to really think about, do we always show up that way though? I can think of times where, you know, I have had a little bit more of a, I told you so type of an attitude with my, with my sons when they mess up or even, even worse. And th this is something I think I do a pretty good job of not doing, but, but this is also what I'm thinking about in this context. Ultimately, you know, this is a story of, of our father's forgiveness, our heavenly father's forgiveness, right? It, it is, it is certainly a story of, of love, of the deep unconditional love that he has for us running to us, even when we mess up, but, but ultimately the ultimate, the ultimate forgiveness that that Jesus paid for on the cross for us exhibited in this story where the father doesn't see the sin. The father looks completely past where his son has messed up, fully embraces him back in that role of sonship, best robe, fattened calf, let's have a party. That's forgiveness. And that is literally even erasing from memory what his son had done. And I think sometimes my, my son might mess up and we'll we'll do the appropriate discipline. We'll have the con the appropriate conversations. We'll try to coach him up, talk him through certain things, even if it's in love. What I need to make sure we don't then do is a year later bring that back up. Hey son, sure. remember like remember you when remember you fell time. short here? Yeah. Remember when you messed up yeah. here? You're doing it again. You know, it's like ugh, it's so easy to do as a father, sure. as as just a human. But that's that's not the father's heart. That's that's not what God our Father does. Our heavenly father does. My my earthly father didn't really do that to me either. So he set a good example in that vein. I don't feel like he was constantly bringing up my past faults, my past sin. He was a very encouraging father in, in those ways. Uh, and I just need to make sure that I'm not doing with that my own, uh, not doing that with my own kids when they fall short, embracing them with love, and then letting them learn and grow from that, and still embracing them, you know, as my son. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. That's a great goal and objective. And, um, you know, anytime I get it, anytime I get it right as a father, it's, it's strictly because of the grace of God and, you know, the Holy Spirit's prompting. It's not because Perry Hughes is awesome or has it all figured out. You know, it's just that God's blessed me with grace to, to get it right sometimes, <laughs> you know? Yep. That's, and by the way, that's, that's part of where the story then goes. And, and I think I have a sense of maybe why you get it right more often than not. And, and it, we pick up in verse 25, and this is where there's a bit of a divergence from those earlier stories that Jesus had told that you alluded to at the start of chapter 15. He gives some other parables about 
sheep being lost, coins being lost. We go and look for those. Then we celebrate when we find those. God celebrates when one of his lost children comes back to him. Okay, fine. So one story about that. Great. We're learning something about God. He He's not going to want any one of his hundred to be lost. The one is just as important as the 99. He's going to go after them. Good. Love that. Uh, next story, same type of thing. This story, same type of thing. He could have stopped here, right? Yes. This is kind of where those other stories stop, right? This, But this is the first time Jesus goes further. Yes, God the Father runs to us, embraces us, welcomes us back, throws a party to celebrate that what was lost is now found. But then the story continues, and we learn something, I think, important about Another aspect of, of God's nature, and this is this is the part that I think is really convicting for me because I relate more to this son. Meanwhile, verse 25, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So here's the question. How should the brother respond? <laughs> the brother isn't happy. Hey, my wayward brother is back. Like, ah, he was pissed. He was, he's ticked off. Verse 28, he became angry and refused to go in. He's throwing a fit. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when a son of yours, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So what, what do we make of the faithful son, the son who was there with his father the whole time and didn't get celebrations, didn't get any of this stuff that this wayward son gets, right? And I, this part of the story always bothered me a little bit because I feel like I always was the dutiful son. You know, I I can totally, totally relate to this. Um, I feel like God showed me something about this that I'll share in a minute, but what's sort of your sort of your thought about this part of the story and why do you think Jesus continues on and shares this part of it? Like, why didn't he just stop with the reconciliation like in the earlier parables? What what does this part mean? I think it's a little bit hard for me because I don't relate to the dutiful son, you know, uh, but a few observations from the lens of the prodigal son about the dutiful son. I, I know that Christ warns the disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. You know, he talks about that repeatedly to the disciples. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And he's not talking about the bread that they eat for lunch. He's talking about their hearts. And that's a heart of feeling righteousness within one's own self, you know, that you, that you do have it figured out, that you are living to the letter of the law, that you, that you, you know, I wouldn't say they would see themselves perfect, but maybe they would. But he's addressing the Pharisees from the beginning of this whole story. He tells the disciples all the time, be, be wary of this heart attitude that you are righteous, that you have it figured out. And so I he circles back to the faithful son to highlight the brokenness within him which is judgment and lack of forgiveness for others, as well as a sense of self-righteousness. Um, and so I think it's a strong warning to us because, you know, as a former prodigal, you know, my life now is fully dedicated to doing my best to follow the Lord and live under his direction, instruction, command, et cetera. But like you said earlier, none of us get it right. You know, I, I fall short every day all the time, but the point is to be really in tune if I begin to have that spirit of self-righteousness. That's right. I need to be very guarded against that. And if I ever come to a point where 
I'm not wanting to express forgiveness towards someone else. That's a red flag. That's an indicator. That's an indicator that my heart is not in the right place. If I see someone else is not deserving of God's forgiveness because of their behavior. So you're that's judging my it's, take on it. Yeah. You're judging and it's not your place to judge. Right. This son, there's such a powerful contrast, I think, between this son and the father, and really anybody else and the father, because it, you know, why doesn't this son also run? Oh, Johnny's home. Yeah. Awesome. Let me go embrace Johnny. Johnny, I haven't seen you for for years. Welcome back. That that wasn't his heart. That was the father's Mm -hmm. heart, right? Yeah. And so there's there's this contrast there. We can't. We can't expect that of of the brother, but we expect that of the father. That's the father's job to have that heart for his kids. Now, if if the brother also has it, maybe they had a great relationship. Certainly, hey, man, I missed you. You've been gone for a couple of years. Welcome home. Awesome. Whatever. But you know, that that that's kind of gravy. But I, I I do find that contrast interesting. But what I think you you pointed out is exactly is exactly right that that there's a self-righteous here that yes, you've been the faithful son and you're pr- there's a pride there. Yeah. This is still a sinner. This is still somebody who has his own issues and his issue is, is pride. He, he sees himself as better than his brother. Yeah. Ultimately at the end of the day, in a judgmental way, right. he is judging his brother, but it's not our place to judge. He doesn't know. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know the ins and outs. He he might see some of the fruit of what his his brother had out been out there doing, but he doesn't know his brother's heart the way God knows his brother's heart. Um, it's not our place to judge. And so we have this dutiful son on the surface, like you said, the Pharisees. It looks good, has been there the whole time, has been faithful to the Father the whole time, and yet in his heart, he knows it. And he's prideful about it. And he's judging his brother as less than, and I am more worthy and I am more deserving. So that's absolutely a huge, a huge revelation. The other thing that I would point out, and this is really what I feel like the Lord showed me as I've been reflecting on this, because I've had a hard time coming to an understanding of what God really wants us to know about this part of the parable mm-hmm. uh, and why it's included. And again, I relate to that son so much. And what I feel like the Lord revealed is that the son, the the faithful son, the dutiful son, never fully actually appreciated the relationship with his father. He never lived fully in that relationship with the father. From the father's perspective, hey, son, you've been with me the whole time. You've had it all already. Yeah. Oh, well, no, I haven't. I've never really appreciated it. I've never really enjoyed it. I've never really connected that relationship with you, father, to where my cup has been full the entire time. Yeah. And so to me, that's what I take out of it, is if I feel in my own heart a little bit, a little bit wronged, a little bit like there's an injustice, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's really, yeah. I think, what it comes down to. It's like yeah. there's an immaturity here. Sure. It's, you know, kids, and so I'll, I'll draw a parallel with with my own kids. Kids, when they're young and they're immature, everything has to be fair, right? right? That's not fair. How many times have your kids said that's not fair? And and when you're splitting up a chocolate chip cookie, like they're literally looking at how many extra crumbs their brother got than they got, or whatever. Like it's not fair. I need exactly what you got, or whatever. And like this is the mindset of the faithful son. It's like this isn't fair. My son, yeah. you know, my brother comes home and he gets the calf, but I didn't get the calf. And he's like whining like a little yeah. five-year-old petulant little child For sure. because he never fully appreciated what he had. The analogy I would use is, let's say my my oldest son is sitting down and I've just given him this enormous brownie sundae. He's got like five scoops of ice cream. He's got brownies. His face is smeared with whipped cream and chocolate. And he is 
fully enjoying the most delicious dessert you could possibly have. And then his brother comes in and says, hey, could I have some? And I give him a couple scoops of ice cream or maybe even another full sundae. And my older son's upset about that. Like, why would you be upset right. about it? Because you have what you want. What yeah. do you care about him? What does what he have have anything to do because you have what you want, right? That's the message. And when you're young and you're immature, you're comparing constantly. But if you have what you have anyway, what the heck does it matter if somebody else has it as well? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. That makes total sense. And I think that I agree with you fully on the interpretation of missing the mark there. And and to elaborate on it a little bit more, here's I'll see if I can try to articulate it well. But when he says, You never even gave me a goat, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. That's an it's an indicator that he's focused on the wrong things and he's focused on the inheritance and the stuff versus the relationship. There you go. With the father. That's he's, right. He's stuff focused, rewards focused versus relational. And I I've never, I've never had that insight to this scripture before, but as we kind of unearth it together, um, it became very clear that, like you said, his his heart was in the wrong place. He had relationship. He had opportunity for relationship for the father or had relationship with the father the whole time, but that's not what he held dear to his heart. He was looking more at those external things, and that's the wrong thing to hold dear to our heart. You know, it's it's all about our relationship with the father. It's all about walking in obedience to him. but it's the value of walking with him. You know, the father in this story says, all that I have is yours. That I just see that as like such an expression of oneness. From the father's perspective, all that I have is yours. We're one. But from the son's perspective is, how come he gets this over here? You know, And if I am fully immersed in that relationship and my cup is completely full and I have this unbelievable deep relationship and attachment with the father. What do I care if somebody else also has that quite to the contrary, I would want other people to have that as well. Yes. Yes. It's an inclusive welcoming attitude. Yes. Bring them into the fold versus a jealous exclusive attitude, which is portrayed. Well, there's a lot going on here, obviously, but I hope it's encouraging. And I and I think it paints a beautiful picture of the father's heart toward us. If we identify certainly as a prodigal, man, what a what a cool thing to realize the the true father's heart for us of unconditional love and forgiveness, open arms to welcome us home. And so I pray listeners, that if you identify more with the prodigal son, maybe you're even walking in that right now, he desperately wants you back. Run to him. You don't need to eat slop. He's got a banquet table waiting for you. And if you're more like me, and maybe you relate a little bit more to the faithful or the dutiful son, let's really seek our own hearts. And and me, for me, I know I am 100% locked in on where's my relationship? How full is my relationship? Am I so content at having already everything that God offers me that why do I need to be jealous of what anybody else has? Because what I have is enough. And I think that's ultimately it. Do I believe that my relationship with my father in heaven is enough? So, so this is just one nature of God as our father. It's a, it's a good nature. It's an important nature. He is our love. I mean, he, he loves us. He, he welcomes us. He opens his arm to welcome us back in, but there are a lot of other facets to who God is, the truth of who he is, not of who we perceive him to be through the lens of our own earthly father who has fallen short in so many ways. And we project that on God, but the truth of who he is. And so we're going to continue to unpack that in future episodes. So stay tuned, make sure you're following the show so that you get uh, alerted every time we drop a new episode. Hopefully you've been encouraged uh, and found this episode helpful. 
We appreciate you guys listening, for giving us those five-star reviews, for sharing us with your friends as we hopefully grow this reach so that more, more men can come to know the truth of who God is. So with that, we will wrap up this episode and talk with you again soon on a future episode of the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. Take care, everyone. I'm trying, I'm trying.